Hi, everyone. Welcome to Lodestar's Lending Leaders. Our guest today, a uh, good friend in the industry, Jeffrey Lloyd. He is a principal at Mortgage Acuity, a mortgage broker. Um, I worked with him in the past at, at other companies that he was at. Uh, great wealth of mortgage experience. I'm excited to talk to you, Jeffrey, about all things mortgage experience uh, related, borrower experience related. I think one thing that um, I want to give you kudos, I think you're the first person to wear their NMLS number while recording the show. So that's that's definitely a first for us on uh, LoadSource Lending Leaders. Thank you. Thanks, Jim. Yeah, it was. Uh, you have to be compliant in this business. It's yeah. first and foremost. I know, and kind of look like a prison guard in the process, too. It, there's that, too. There's that, too. I had considered an orange shirt, but I, I didn't want to go that far. <laughs> so um, tell me a little bit about, you know, what brought you to Mortgage Acuity, you know, your experience in the industry, being on different sides of it, and eventually now, you know, being a mortgage broker. Well, the short answer is, is that I wanted to talk to more borrowers, more people interested in buying their home, more people interested in refinancing their home, just more clients mm -hmm. in general, just have mm -hmm. that frontline conversation with people wanting to borrow mortgage money. Mm -hmm. um, over the course of my career, I've really gone full circle. So I started as a broker back mm -hmm. in 2002. And um, in 07, with the impending great financial crisis, I moved to the banks, stayed at the banks for quite a while till 19, and then went back to being a broker, fintech shop. That was pretty good experience, but it got me thinking, maybe I should open my own business. Mm -hmm. So I did. And what is it about borrowers through the process that you, you enjoy seeing people, you know, going, going through and actually getting a mortgage and buying a home in many cases, their first home? Well, the part that I like is talking about hopes, plans, and dreams. Mm -hmm. uh, I find that people, even when they're refinancing, but primarily when they're buying a home, even if it's, they're buying a new home, they are a current owner. They're talking about their plans, actualizing plans in the future and what, mm -hmm. you know, what could happen? And I find that probably mm -hmm. the most exciting thing about this business. Mm -hmm. And I feel that that emotion gets missed from this a lot, from a lot of the things you see in the industry. I think, you know, it's it's easy to kind of get um, accustomed to, you know, when you're doing hundreds of loans a month or something like that, you know, what it actually means for someone. Um, so what do you, you know, how do you see people making a bigger deal about putting that borrower experience front row center? Well, I think, I think we spend a lot of time talking about actualizing the American dream. And the odd part for me is that I, I don't think of it as the American dream. I just think of people as planning for their future and, and yeah. hoping that things go well and being really optimistic about what's ahead. And, you know, if I stay present to that, then I'm having a really fun conversation with someone. Mm -hmm. And if I don't worry so much about what's going to get me paid or what documents are needed or all the minutia of the mortgage process, if I just stay present to the client, then and always frame it that way mm -hmm. um, that, hey, we're just, you know, we're trying to get this done. Let's just, you know, we're together. This is the road ahead. Mm -hmm. um, it's a lot more fun. It's a lot more interesting. I saw a statistic that, that came up on one of our past podcasts, the head of mortgages at PRMG said this, that I think about, it's about 15% of mortgage clients are return clients. So you, you, you do sign a mortgage, right? There's a 15% chance that clients is coming back. Um, compare that to other industries and it is abysmal, right? Abysmal in terms of how low, low it is. Is that something that you've experienced? Is that something that you feel it can, 
is a little bit different when you focus on the uh, customer experience? Is that surprising you? That's interesting because uh, I did hear the podcast 18%. I heard that number on your podcast yeah. with uh, that individual. And um, I know if I talk to my colleagues and counterparts, the loan officers out there, they're going to disagree with that number. They're going to think that there's going to be a lot higher return with their book. But it sounded, it rang true to me. It sounded about right. And I don't, I would love to say that I get a higher client retention rate, but I don't know necessarily that the client retention rate is higher, but I do feel it's a lot better when I am following up with clients, when I am making those calls six months, a year and 18 months out, mm-hmm. that there is a positivity to the call. They're not, I mean, I'm not going to joke and say they're happy to hear from me, but we have a pleasant conversation. In some cases, they are happy to hear from me. And, but we have a, a better conversation. We talk about you know, where they are versus where they thought they would be and things like that. And I think it's just, it's a better phone call than, yeah. oh, hey, you know, I'm Mr. Loan Officer Jeff. You want to do something with the mortgage now? How about a refinance? What about that? You know? And if a refinance comes up, great. If removing MI comes up and they want me on a conference call with the lender, great. Mm-hmm. Um, I did one this morning that was just that. Man, you might save a couple hundred bucks a month. So it's worth it. Mm-hmm. But I don't I don't want to kid you and say that I have a higher than higher client retention rate than 18%. I would really wish I did. Well, what I think that 18% doesn't capture is referrals too, right? And that I think that's a key part of someone having a good experience is wanting to work with refer you to someone else going through the process. I was the first thing my my uh, buddy, who's also a loan officer, said to me, he's like, no way, I have a higher. So what about the deals you get from a deal? And yes, it's not capturing that. So yeah. I think there's a broader sense of yeah. what client retention could be. Mm-hmm. But um, And people really just don't do tra- mortgage transactions that often. I mean, how often are we really doing a mortgage transaction? What's it like five in someone's lifetime? I think that's on the high side. That would be on the high side. I would. I was thinking just making up, making it up a bit was if you're doing a deal every, if you're doing a mortgage deal every three years, that would be an extremely active client in my mind. Right. And that's probably more than one property or you're buying and selling or refinancing a lot. It's, yeah. It's rare. I think the it's average, rare. I think the average mortgage people hold for something like seven years. Seven years. Yeah. yeah. The house or the mortgage is something around seven years. Yeah. And, and that hasn't changed for a long time. Mm-hmm. And it went down in the great financial crisis. Then it kind of looks yeah. to be static what, from there. Since you, you mentioned getting into the industry in 2002, what do you feel has changed over that time? <laughs> it's almost hard to answer that question because on, on one level, a lot. Yeah. And on the other level. Happens. Yeah. What's that? Yeah. The disclosure. You lived through two recessions. Yeah. Went through two recessions, housing market. I would say there's, I would say there's kind of two fundamental things that have kind of changed since 2002. And you, I don't know. I, one is is that I think we're getting a broader understanding that housing is a market subject to increases and declines. Mm-hmm. I would say prior to that, it was buy a house. It's going to appreciate. You're going to be great. You're going to get your money. It's, you know, yay. And today it's a little bit at least known or acknowledged that, you know, it's a market. It could go up and it could go down in different areas or different markets. Mm -hmm. I think that's a little bit more broadly 
I know it sounds strange to say that right now because we're in this hyper appreciation period, but I right. think it's still kind of known that it's a market. That's one well, thing I, mean, I feel like I'm, changed. You know, I'm considering buying in the next year or two. And I think because of that hyper appreciation, I'm, I'm nervous. I know I'm not going to time it perfectly, but it seems overheated at the moment for at least in the area that, where I am. So I think as a potential home buyer, I kind of view it that way of, you know, there's, you know, we'd be buying on the high side now, is this going to normalize as we get more supply or, or something changes in that regard? Maybe it won't, but. You're, there's a lot of people in that situation right now. It's a lot of home buyers and not just first time, but a lot of home buyers, even repeat buyers are nervous about what the price points are today. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so that's always, you know, so that is an awareness of the market. I guess that's part of where I came up with that comment. I would say the second thing is that um, it's just gotten so much easier to get a mortgage. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, you don't have to, I mean, it's just gotten so much more simple. You can scan your documents on the phone. You, you know, we have a lot more integration on our side. So things go a little bit more smoothly and if it can free us up to talk more about um, the road ahead, like I was yeah. saying before, or just, you know, in, have a meaningful conversation with the client as opposed to troubleshooting how to get the paycheck stub over. Mm -hmm. Do you find that home buyers going into the process are different now? Obviously, 20 years ago, there wasn't Zillow or there wasn't all of the same things regarding property listing. There was no Zestimate that they were mentioning to you. You know, how is how is the availability of looking at homes for sale and information about them changed it, the process? That's that's a pretty that's a big question. It's also a really positive impact because you mm -hmm. can have real conversations about homes when you're talking to a prospective borrower or even when you're pre-approving someone, mm -hmm. you know, because you do need some of the numbers. What are the taxes? What are the insurance? Right. And thankfully you've got that information on some level. Mm -hmm. You know, you have the taxes, you can ballpark the insurance pretty good now um, yeah. based on the website. So it's really that's really great. And then services like yours even help to really pipe in the information so you can have that complete conversation. What's it going to cost? Yeah. And that is, there was, I mean, we were quoting title charges at 1% of the loan amount back in 2002. That's what I was, that's what I was quoting. Just 1%. I didn't even know if that was meaningful or not. It was just something to work with. Well, and it didn't matter. It didn't matter. Right. Like, yeah, I, I, I mean, I started in 2009 because that's when the good faith estimate and any sort of regulation around closing costs became a thing. Yeah. And even yeah. now, I still constantly wonder how much does a home buyer even care about that, right? Like there's, there's people out there that I find realtors or, or folks who give less information because once you put a number out there, a person is going to compare you to maybe a, um, a posting that doesn't have closing costs. So now all of a sudden you're three grand higher because you're actually trying to quote numbers up front, right? So I wonder how much uh, clarity actually feel, people feel like clarity is helping them at the moment make a sale. Analysis paralysis is certainly a thing in yeah. in in the mortgage. It's like a super cynical way of viewing it. I understand that. Like I wish, <laughs> I wish it's not the case. I wish people would put all the information out there and realize what things are. And I think we will get there. But I often I often wonder that. One thing, one thing that I work with, and it's something I spend a fair amount of time thinking about, and even more than thinking about, sort of mapping out to the best of my ability is when to parse the information so that it's meaningful 
Mm-hmm. When, if you're a first time home buyer, where do we start? Yeah. And so it, we can start a couple of different ways, but usually it's just really back of the envelope math. What do you make? What's the DTI ratio? What are you paying your car payments? Here's what you got left. Let's knock out a couple of numbers for taxes and insurance yeah. and then and then flip that into a mortgage amount. Does that sound like where you want to be? Take it from there and just kind of start start the ball rolling in that way mm-hmm. and and sort of see where that gets you. And then, you know, you're going to pivot to the asset conversation and that's generally speaking where you're going to have to get some give them some idea what they're going to have to spend to buy a house. Yeah. Right. And then that's, you know, I'm sure there's still some back of the envelope percentage match of knowing where you are. It's about 3% or so for closing costs to estimate right now, which is still better than that 1% you were quoting before for accuracy, at least. Um, yes. Yeah. And then that's where you kind of talk about, well, you're going to need this amount of money yep. and it's going to go into these few buckets. And then, and then I do, it is, I do wonder how much information is too much, how much information is too little. It is a fine balance that obviously changes with each client, but um, it is a hard, it is a balance that's hard to find. And then dealing with clients now, um, you know, a lot of first time home buyers now, and then versus 20 years, 20 years ago, you know, what has changed is who's buying homes, right? Folks like myself born in the eighties, millennials are now a, a, big part of the, the first time home buyer. How do you, do you find the difference in dealing with millennial borrowers versus someone of an older generation, Gen X, baby boomer, what have you? Well, today I do, but I would say that at that time, back in 2002, they were probably, um, well, they weren't armed with as much data, right. but they were similar in their, in, they were similar in focus. Right. A 30 year old um, in 2002 versus a 30 year old now. Yeah, I mean, there was a similarity. I would think that, um, but there's a lot more data. And then there's a little bit of a different person. I hear a lot more typing into spreadsheets when I'm having conversations with first-time home buyers than I did in 2002. And I started a lot more. Excel when I was 12 years old. So that, that makes perfect sense. I'm sure I will have a spreadsheet at that point. Yeah, so, and then I've gone, you know, so I posted... I did a post on Medium where, you know, how much can I qualify for? And then I did my best to, to tell them exactly how I get that back of the envelope calculation. Mm-hmm. This is where I start, right. I did, you know, annual income divided by 12. I mean, I did, I tried to spell it out very, and then put the, and then put the Excel formulas in there so that people could copy and paste them into their spreadsheet if they wish. Yeah. And um, I found that posting some very specific things like that have helped me answer some questions um, and present as, you know, someone that they might want to work with as well, mm-hmm. selfishly. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense in that, well, you're also providing useful information too. And that actually went in line with one of my questions about the way you find borrowers now different than 20 years ago. And I mean, you mentioning medium, which half of our listeners may not, may not even know what it is in the first place too, um, other than the size between big and small. Um, so <laughs> I, I think I, it seems like you're probably adopting some new ways of actually trying to find borrowers that's different than the typical, you know, mailers or, or things that folks would have done in the past. Yeah, uh, I, I post on Medium um, and then there are people who will subscribe to that post so they don't get emailed to them in their inbox, sort of like a, 
a newsletter, if you will. Not, I don't really do the whole Substack, but you know, something will go out to them if they wish. And they can mm -hmm. opt in. Um, I will. I will. You know, I'll look for people where they are. I think one of the biggest things that I try to do is. Um, and some people wouldn't like this, but I must be on every chat app there is. So if a borrower wants to message me via Signal or Slack or WhatsApp or, you know, whatever it is, I'll have it and they can and they can use that platform. It's, mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm not going to discriminate based on that. I'll just flow with you where you want to talk, where, where it makes sense for you. And you um, that communication makes the process easier. Yeah, I think it makes it easier for them. I think it's a little more, it just, it's more comfortable for them. If they're used to typing things into line, then, and I'm, I have a line account, then that's fine for them. Mm. Um, I do find that there's a lot more, uh, there's a lot more energy in certain areas now. Like people generally don't want to be on the phone unless they really are specific or they're into the process. So yeah. knowing how to communicate in an asynchronous typed fashion mm. is really going to be important in the future mm. uh, if it isn't now. And I think that's where some of the, I, you know, the average age of a loan officer is 55. Oh. And I don't want to get into a generational warfare, but some of these folks, they don't like to type. Yeah. I mean, somehow, frankly, but right. and I think that's interesting because all too often you hear millennials don't like to talk on the phone. You don't hear older folks don't like to type. They don't. Yeah. And I mean, I've worked with people who did not a type hunt and peck. And mm. um, I think it's super important to be able to frame your response in a way that can be read at a, at a later date. I know that I'm defining asynchronous, but, um, mm. you know, so that they can get without too many words, right? Because it can't be a wall of text, right. but with just enough that they can look at it later and understand what you're trying to communicate. So there's not a huge back and forth. People do not like that either. Yeah, And then if you're not using the tools available, I mean, you know, if you're not connecting your, if you're not connecting your systems with each other, and if you're not, if you don't have an online application, if you're just not using what's out there, yeah. I think you're selling yourself short in this and business. It's about meeting people where they are, right? And, you know, how many other transactions and things do you do on an online automated basis like that? And it's, I think just, you know, having the mortgage process embrace that. Yeah. It's I, um, been really good for me because mm -hmm. I came to mortgage from technology and, I, you know, in the nineties technology was a whole different ballgame, not nowhere near what it's like today. So, but it's been, I really like it. I really like it. It's where it's kind of how I want to do business, right? I don't want to take the whole application on the phone. I'd rather they put in the data points online. Well, cause then when you're on the phone, you can talk to them about their kind of hopes and dreams and what they're looking to do. And that leverages yes. uh, builds a relationship. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that's more interesting to me. It's just a more interesting conversation than how do you spell your name? And, well, it establishes um, a better relationship too. And I think it's what something someone would want a mortgage broker, a loan officer doing. I think so too. I yes. genuinely agree with that. Mm -hmm. I really think so. I think that's, I mean, that's the one thing that we can provide as a mortgage broker or a loan mm -hmm. officer is the human connection. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, I had posted something on LinkedIn, I think a couple of weeks ago, saying describe first time home buyers in one word. Um, and I think out of about 13 responses, you were one of two that was positive. Uh, one person said excited, you said bullish or optimistic. 
right? Everyone else said scared, confused, uh, terrified, broke. Um, I think so. And I was glad to see at least someone who works with so many uh, first-time home buyers to at least have a, a positive, optimistic response. So I keep seeing those responses yeah. and keep seeing that same tone and tenor mm-hmm. in the responses from the mortgage people. And yeah. I think that's, oh, sure. You know, I mean, are people nervous? Are they out of their comfort zone yeah. with, as a first-time home buyer? For sure. Are you going to spend a big chunk, if not all your money on a house? Yeah. But is that really the overriding thing about the conversation is that you're broke or you're scared? I think the overriding thing is that you're optimistic or you're bullish. You think it's going to be better. Mm -hmm. And I think if you're confused or scared or any of those negative emotions, whose fault is that too? It's not necessarily the home buyer's fault, right? It's, I I think, you know, having the consumer education, I think it's tough because you feel like you're doing so much for so little. But I think that is important. I think people need to understand this process more. I have very smart, very intelligent friends who have finance jobs who have no idea what they're doing when they go through the the refining process or mortgage process or closing or any of it. Yeah, I agree. I've I've seen that very similar thing. I mean, listen, you can have a specific set of knowledge in one in an area and not know another area. I'm a pretty good example of that. I have a specific set of knowledge in the mortgage industry and don't know a lot about almost anything else. Yeah. But um, so I would, I mean, I completely understand that. And I do, you do want to feel like you know something if you know something, but it's, mm-hmm. it's better if you can walk in, you know, more open, yeah. but it's um, yeah, I just, I just don't, I think we're so used to as loan officers telling everybody what they can't do, you know, don't buy something new. Don't move your money. Don't you buy you a know, car get new credit. credit. Yeah. yeah. And we just, and I think that's more from our perspective because perhaps it makes a little more effort on our part or it creates um, a little bit of anxiety on our end, whether the loan will close. Right. And I think it's more about let's, you know, let's talk about it. Like, yeah. is that, you know, it could be doable. It mm-hmm. could totally be doable. You could buy a car if you make enough money. Right. They're just meeting people where they are. Um, one thing kind of, mortgage broker broker question, but a little bit different. There are a lot, the lending world, right? You have, you have big banks, you have little banks, you have ginormous banks and other institutions, the racket mortgages of the world, the Wells Fargo's of the world. Where does the mortgage broker fit into that um, at the end of the day? And what does that look like moving forward? Well, I think we fit into two places in, in the industry and one is that we're localized. So a lot of mortgage brokers just work in their area and they just work with people in their area, really, but maybe even only in their town right. or, uh, you know, and I think there's another way that we fit. And that is that we're not always looking for big banks want you to move a bunch of money over. And I think sometimes just as a pure play mortgage loan officer, I think that appeals to the market. They don't want to talk about everything else. They don't want to talk about the retirement plans. They don't want to talk about their investments. They just want to buy this house. Mm-hmm. And I think just being that real, just dealing with that one financial product resonates in the marketplace. Just focus on this one thing. I don't have to worry about everything else. That same specialization you were just talking about. Yeah, that's a better way to put it, specialization. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, that's what I'm here. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
I think that resonates. I really do. Yeah. I think, you know, we're only going to talk about mortgage. That's it. It's right. clear what we're going to talk about. Um, yeah. And I think that's good. And talking about folks going through the process too, and being confused, what, you know, better way to present them all of their different lending options than dealing with a broker who can actually go and literally your job is to go and find the best mortgage for them. Yeah, that's another place where everyone is divvying up what piece of the market they want. The big yeah. players are doing that. And the mortgage broker still fits in that in those, a lot of niches. Yeah. And then um, and just in trying to find just maybe even the best rates and terms across a broad swath of lenders. Yeah. Because everyone's a little different. So, um, yeah, we can maybe find the best deal. And then we've still got some of the niche programs that we want to do that. Well, the big banks don't want to. And the big banks on a lot of levels don't even want mortgage unless there's a big deposit behind it. I know it's or a blanket like statement. Amazon and you just want everyone's um, 1009 form. Yeah. The and then some of the, yeah. yeah. And then the fintechs just kind of, and one thing is the fintechs do really well, but they do it as an assembly line process. And if it just skids off that assembly line just a little, it, they just kind of toss it out on a certain level. And, you know, we don't have that process. Yeah. I think you're going to see look almost like a, you know, a, a U factor, right? A howling out of the, the market where the localized folks are going to be able to succeed and do well because of those local relationships and that specialization. And some of the really big folks are going to do well, right? So where does that leave the folks in the middle? Which direction are they going to move in? Um, I think it's going to be a really interesting factor going forward. I like that. I, I agree with that. I hadn't mm -hmm. thought of it that way, but I do... Yeah. I, I see that trend as well. Um, mm -hmm. There is a lot of, I mean, we're experiencing a little bit of a contraction in the mortgage business due to a fall off of refinances. So that, mm -hmm. I wonder where that plays given your, your scenario there. I think it depends on, on how folks are set up. Obviously some of those big consumer direct shops are, are better off in a refi market. The, quite frankly, I think the whole industry is from growing up in this market. I can count on my hand the number of kind of you know, refi booms and what that's meant for either my family business or my own business. So I think that boom and bust aspect of the industry isn't really going anywhere because like you said at the top of the call, housing's a market just like anything else and it's going to have its ebb and throw flows. So I think this is an industry built on that. It's a industry built on overnight your volume doubles, right? And then it, then it goes away. So you know, I think dealing with the repercussions and what it means to manage a business in 2022 like that is is going to be interesting to see. It is interesting. Um, we still try to do, you know, some predictions based on the boom and bust, which is you kind even of more to, interesting. Yeah. 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 But uh, it it is a it is a boom and bust industry. And, mm -hmm. and that's kind of part of the excitement of it. Yeah. Quite frankly. I think so, too. And I think the fact that every aspect of life kind of touches that right where you live is so important but also if you look at the economy you know shipping delays the price of lumber all of these factors go into a price of a home they do they do i know we've been watching that for a year now well yeah. price of lumber things like that yeah. i mean just the fact that price of lumber is a topic on this podcast yeah. is is interesting yeah so we know we know that much and mm -hmm. uh yeah, that, you knew that was all going to get baked into what's yeah. going to happen in 22 on some level. Yeah. So I think you answered this, Jeffrey, in bits and pieces, but this is the question I always like to end on is, what gets you excited to come to work every morning? I, having that conversation with home buyers about what's next or what they think the future brings. Um, it really is. I really, 
it's not so much that I just really like hearing their perspective, you know, what they think the plans for the future are, what's going to happen in their life and what, what their just hopes are. It's just, it's really interesting to me, uh, especially, you know, as I'm like further on in my career and I have different plans then, and, and I learn a lot. I learned a lot in planning and um, and just how to manage, even how to manage money is really interesting. So just the learning and talking to home buyers, it gets me up in the morning. Um, I also like playing around with the technology that's coming out these days, uh, trying to connect things better, trying to automate what should be automated, what shouldn't be automated. Some mm-hmm. of that stuff is really interesting to me too, you know, to geek out on. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you are incredibly passionate about this industry. So I, I absolutely love it. And thanks so much for, for coming on the podcast. This was a fun conversation. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me, Jim. I really appreciate it. That was good. Have a good one. You too.